0: Linnean. The Linnaean the Linnean Society,
1: Society, Society of London The
0: Linnaean
1: Society of London Linnaean Future My name's Tom Oliver, I'm Professor of Applied Ecology at the University of Reading um, and also at the moment for the last couple of years I've been seconded with DEFRA so that's in the Department for Environment, Food and Rural Affairs and that's on their systems research programme. So it's um, trying to take a systems approach to environmental problems and think more about root causes rather than just uh, kind of sticking plaster uh, solutions. I grew up partly living in Malaysia, actually, and I used to go outside and look at weaver ants building their nests and, and working together and using their, their tiny larvae as sort of miniature glue guns to pull together these amazing nests. So I was always interested in in kind of cooperation in in insects. And actually in in my PhD, I went to study uh, ants and aphids. And so the ants are are milking the aphids for their honeydew and they're using it as a fuel foraging. Um, And in return, um, they protect the aphids from predators like ladybirds. And and actually then I moved on to, to kind of larger scales um, working on more sort of a, applied conservation. And that was using some long term monitoring data. Uh, so we have excellent data in the UK for all sorts of um, groups like butterflies and birds. And that was trying to understand how land use. So intensive farming, for example, uh, interacts with climate change um, and can um, yeah, interact to drive changes in, in species populations. And so, for example, fragmentation of our landscape is much more problematic under a climate change and, and drought events, for example, can really, um, if the landscape is fragmented, those populations can struggle to recover. So I, I, was, I was really interested in biodiversity and protecting nature. But I started to realise, you know, there's lots of people working on, for example, how we configure these tiny little field margins, you know, floor-rich field margins, um, and how can we best configure them to try to allow connectivity and, and species to recover from, from drought events and move through landscapes. But actually, you know, the elephant in the room is that we devote more than 70% of our land to this intensive food production. You know, we're putting heavy chemical fertilisers, pesticides, just just basically essentially removing habitat, so there's nowhere for, for nature to to exist. And, and the answers then, the solutions don't lie in, in kind of tweaking those tiny little, patches of habitat they're actually asking how do we transform our our globalized food system because our you know it's not a national food system it's a it's a global food system we import more than half of our food and then the solutions lie more in the economic uh, realm Uh, even social sciences you know the the kind of psychological factors behind the choices uh, we have when we buy food so I think that to me is uh, starting to move towards the solutions and then really getting at the the root causes of of why people choose to buy a certain product or travel in a certain way um, and my my twin interest actually when i was younger was really going into the local library where i used to live in lancaster and reading books about eastern philosophy and, and buddhism and, and and zen and Taoism and, and actually these ideas about um you know the idea that the self is a is, a, is an illusion has uh, the self as an independent entity is an illusion has been around for a long time obviously um but it's only more recently that that science has started to to show in different ways how that's true and and that for me is um a twin interest that i started to realize actually when we start to see the world in that way of being much more connected that really affects those choices about what we choose to buy and then it can affect how we protect our our landscapes so to me the two interests kind of converged around this understanding of our our sense of self and and its influence on pro environmental behaviors like buying sustainable products for example
0: tom could you tell us uh, the title of your book and what it
1: is about yeah sure um so the book is called the self delusion uh, the surprising science of uh, how we are connected to each other in the natural world and yeah the, the, the focus is some of the things we've talked about is is it's trying to get at um looking at the science between our physical bodies you know how we're made of uh, the cells, many cells which are comprised of bacteria, the, the cells in our body are, are constantly turning over. And, and um, so actually our, our physical uh, bodies are just, you know, built from material scavenged from, uh, from, from around us. And that, actually those, those cells, those atoms in those cells that come from other organisms that were once alive, dinosaurs and plants. So our, our body is kind of recycled material. And the DNA is building that body uh, is information obviously that's just simply borrowed from our ancestors and passed on to ancestors to come and as we've talked about it's kind of shared through the tree of life the same code is replicated across the tree of life so physically you know the idea of a distinct self is is an illusion and then uh, then the, the second part of the book looks more at the psychological realm and how um, I mean just briefly you know the, the pheromones around us for example can even though we can't see them that they're actually transforming the way we think and even every word every bit of music that we hear changes the neural networks in our brains and actually uh, who we are is changing on a kind of minute by minute basis and it, and obviously our minds are porous and we're influenced by all that environment around us, what we read, what we hear. So the links between uh, people uh, in terms of our ability to transform each other's minds uh, is, is, is huge. So uh, that's really the focus of the science uh, breaking down, sort of unpeeling like an onion, I suppose, those layers uh, that we are these kind of in the physical and the psychological level, discrete entities. And then the last part of the book is really about w- w- what does that worldview matter? You know, d- d- does it matter? And, and I argue that it does for sustainability because of a lot of what we discussed. You know, when you see yourself as isolated, you tend to be more selfish. You actually tend to be more unhappy and anxious as well. Um, but when you, you feel more connected, which I would argue is the a kind of you know, more accurate way of, of seeing our, ourselves in relation to the world, then people tend to be happier and also they carry out more of those pro-environmental behaviours um, because they see themselves, they identify with that larger entity and they want to care for it as an act of self-care.
0: So... I mean, as I understand, you're saying that we stop thinking about ourselves as individuals. And when we actually consider that we are part of a landscape, then you will automatically make different choices.
1: Absolutely. Yeah. So, I mean, obviously, it's it's important to have a sense of self and not, not talking about abolishing a sense of self because we need it every day to get around, to feed ourselves, you know, to, to manage our social interactions. But I think the argument is that that sense of self evolved. Um, and actually under co- in our globalized world um, we interact in much larger groups the the some of the checks and balances on whether we're too selfish versus you know more co- cooperative have been lifted in when we interact in these much larger groups um, you know our economies have become globalized whereas our, our kind of moral systems and our legal frameworks haven't necessarily globalized at the same rate the the self has become maladaptive in the modern world a bit like our our tendency to eat you know fatty or sugary foods it's it's evolved in a circumstance but was good to get all those energy sources but when they're super available plus you have our culture you know in the case of fast food you know a culture which um makes those foods much more available cheap accessible attractive and in the same our culture towards pushing us towards a sense of um i would argue excessive individualism you know whether it's our education system saying we need to build self-esteem and build a brand of ourselves or even our you know um Messages from um, the media and government about how being an individual is is important, and you know, but actually, um, I I argue we've gone too far, and, and that sense of co- ourselves as being part of a collective, part of something bigger, is hugely important in, well, essential really in navigating the, the kind of sustainability crisis that we face. Seeing we see ourselves often as part of you know uh, our body and our family. But actually we can extend that to, you know, even beyond our town or our football team, but actually to the whole world to be a global citizen and actually to even incorporate other species, non, more than human world as part of our, our sense of self. So in The Self Delusion, I talk about the work of um, a deep ecologist called Arnie Nace, and he had this view of uh, about an, being an ecological self, which where we identify that much larger level. And Nace's theory was that, um, I mean, this was back in the 70s, so he didn't have a lot of evidence, but his theory was that if we have that sense of broader self, then everything is part of our in-group and we won't, we'll protect it. Not as an act of altruism, where you do something to ser- ser- serve something else, you know, but it's at the cost to you. We would actually do it as, a, in, a, as an act of self-care, just like we care for our family. And actually, you know, environmental psychology in recent decades has proven Nace right, that when people do have that sense of broader identity. They tend to, you know, recycle more, they purchase sustainably, they're more likely to be part of um, conservation groups. So it really does follow that that sense of um, shared identity is actually leading to more pro-environmental behaviours. And for me, that's a key um, way forward in terms of not further exacerbating our kind of atomistic worldview, uh, but actually trying to, create a more sense of um, shared collective identity.
0: On collective living, and whether this is, you know, a hippie dream of the 60s, um, where everybody is walking around in dreadlocks eating from the same plate, or is this something that we can actually look at? I mean, if we look at our cities, they're not really made for large communal living, they are really made for individual living. So, Did you come across examples of collective existence among groups in other regions and if yes I mean what could we learn from them?
1: Things like you know working together on collective farming or outdoor community pursuits you know they both address them the the environmental uh, damage that we've caused because a lot of these you know small community farms can be much more biodiverse they're better for um, they're actually can be more productive in terms of uh, food but also they're, they're improving people's sense of, of yeah they're building that kind of social cohesion and um, addressing some of the mental health issues that we face as well
0: well within us we had larger families in Asia we still have joint housing um, we all live in kind of collective spaces and then against that we have modern urban space design which kind of is built for the individual or is being built more and more for the for the individual and we see that in offices as well so historically what ha- what are the forces that have compelled us to separate
1: yeah i i think it's um i mean there's some, there's some studies that show that individualistic practices and values have increased in many countries over over the last 50 years in fact the majority of countries have shown increases in these metrics and the, the practices are things like living the tendency to live alone uh, or in smaller smaller family units um, and yeah uh, the, the kind of loss of communal spaces is is hugely problematic as well. Um, I think the drivers are, are the, the excessive focus on the kind of you know the individual as being hugely important and the unit that, that we should focus on as opposed to much more on kind of communal um, elements of of identity it's very damaging that, that we're losing these communal spaces and also if you think about the way people deal with environmental problems like air quality um there's there is a dangerous ten a trend sorry towards um a kind of personal adaptation you know so the air quality is bad outside Well, you you pay for some super air conditioning system which means that it, it purifies the air in your apartment block and obviously that is leads to massive inequality in the environmental impacts because not many people can afford those types of systems. But also then, you know, if your air is clean, you have less incentive. And especially if you're very rich and tend to have more leverage in the political system and the whole economic system, you know, you might put less focus on now pushing for cleaner air and, and less pollution at, the, at at source because you have this kind of personal adaptation. So I think, you know, it, it's clear that... Um, isolated approach to family units and and identity can be can lead to exacerbating environmental inequality as well.
0: Yeah, that's a good point. I mean, I come from India, which has notoriously bad air quality. And one of the worst examples, one of the worst habits that I have come across is how rich people have cars and now they have car air purifiers. So you're basically driving around in a machine that is causing the problem. But you're trying to solve the problem in your car. And that, to me, is the is the whole planet in a snapshot.
1: This, I think, this idea that we can hermetically seal ourselves comes from uh, you know this idea that we are sovereign entities and the boundary is, is is solid. But actually, when you start to kind of understand that, you know, and I say understand because I actually when you look at the science and uh, as I talked about that this kind of the idea that we're individuals is an illusion, then it, you can kind of see that that approach for managing society is also massively flawed as well.
0: There was one thing that you touched upon briefly that I wanted to ask you about is consumption. And um, our consumptive choices have a big footprint. And this is what the system gives us right now. Most of the choices that we have are damaging to the environment in some way, whether we are buying you know, ready-made food, whether we are um, driving cars. I mean, these are most accessible. So how do we get the current system to work for the planet? You know, like how we say, don't be angry at the person who's buying the plastic clad vegetable, be angry at the system because that person is probably worked three jobs and has no time or has, you know, kids and very little money. So can living in larger communities or can communal living bring in a radically new consumption habits?
1: Yeah, I, I think it's a fair point that... Um how much the, the system around us, the institutions, constrain our our, our, our individual choices to to, um, to be able to be sustainable. Um, and I struggle with this a lot myself about, you know, the, the degree to which we should be trying to change um, interventions at the level of, of the system, what you might say, the kind of institutions, on the level of the individual. And obviously, I, I think it's, of course, both. Um, I mean, but let me give you an example, because it's easy to... Um, focus on one level and think that that's the, the, the way to go. So if you think about cycling in cities, um, um, there was someone from the behavioral insights team, which, which gave a, uh, uh, talked about a model, which um, called ISM model, individual social material, the level at which you can think about different interventions. And his argument was that actually you can give people posters about sort of being a cycling hero and, you know, trying to change uh, motivation and behaviors. But then he showed a picture of a really busy three lane, you know, street in a city with lots of cars, very dangerous to cycle. And, his, and then he showed a picture of a, a city which had a dedicated cycle lanes, much more safer and open. So his point was, you know, if you actually change the material, the institutional, uh, the structure of the city, you can allow the cycling, which is a fair point. So he was saying, well, it's more that material level than the individual but actually, if you think, well, how did that city change come about? How, why did they build the cycle lanes and you know invest in that? And actually, it was probably individuals lobbying their MPs, people in government actually having a transformation in mindset around the importance of of um, you know renewable uh, um, safer transport on bikes as opposed to cars. So actually, underneath that, underneath the institutional change has been a, a change in mindset and worldview. So now you're back to the individual level again. So you can kind of keep going around it's sort of chicken and egg um but for me yeah the they are the, you know these institutions are made up by our collective worldviews our whole philosophical and, and political outlook can change when we interact with others more in a more kind of cooperative communal way and that's uh, less of a a, a, a a philosophy which is putting the individual as being supreme and actually that that political element then cascades upwards if we can create those changes to, to, to lead to a much more um, fairer system which addresses inequality and which has a focus on um, protecting individuals on the other side of the world and protecting species as well. Creating those environments in which people feel more connected to each other and the, the, the potential for it to cascade upwards to lead to political change as well and actually in that sense create a positive cycle as opposed to a vicious cycle which is where we you know as we've talked about we have very highly individualistic mindsets that degrades the environment but actually when the environment is degraded we actually become more xenophobic and and, you know um, building borders maybe identifying with smaller tribal groups and and then that, that exacerbates environmental problems further which then drives you know a vicious cycle. Lynnea, Lynnea,
0: future, future, future,
1: future.